Hello, I'm Frances. I'm missing seeing you all, so I'm being brave and doing a reading for you on video. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Luke 10, verses 25 to 37. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, What does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. Right, Jesus told him, Do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was travelling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. The temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him, going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn, where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, Take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbour to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. And thank you very much for listening. Hope to see you soon. <laughs> Good morning, um, everybody. Uh, my name is Mark Micho. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the minister here. It's great to hear Francis read for us from God's word. And uh, my heart goes out to Francis and to others who are isolating and, and are not able to, to, to mingle and, and to, to, to do a lot of stuff during this pandemic. But also, I think um, my heart is to all of you, really, who actually who are longing to, to be here together and we, we can't do it yet um, properly. As elders and as church leaders, we're thinking and praying what is the best way to do that. Um, so uh, we're finding um, ways and we just want to be safe. So once we've got some clear ideas, we will let you know. But just wanted to remind you that on the 6th of September, in the evening, we'll have um, a gathering here with a communion and reflective service. And um, so that will be next Sunday, and we will let you know this week uh, what do you need to do in order for you to attend um, or to be able to attend that meeting. But we, we are very grateful that uh, we were able to, to start thinking about um, coming back and making it safe um, for everybody. Um, as you know, we've had a wedding and a funeral service the last two weeks here, and we, we have learned lots about how to handle uh, those things, so uh, we are on the move, and we will let you know definitely. Um, so today I'm here on my own. Normally, the last three weeks Ruth has been here, and today I'm on my own. Uh, Ruth is at home with the girls, 
And again, I'm bringing the stories in between series and thinking about the parables. So we continue with the series on the stories in between. And um, well, actually, we've come to the end of it. We, uh, we don't continue, sorry. And um, so this is our last of the, of the series. And as Francis reminded us from reading God's word, that we, uh, we're going to be looking at a very familiar story today. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. Statistics show, from what I've read from different commentaries, that it's the most used and well-known parable. And I think I chose it in purpose because I thought it's an opportunity for us to be um, looking at something that is very familiar to us and still expect God to um, reveal himself to us afresh from his word and continue to give us life and transform us for his glory. So stories in between, as um, Ruth and Jenny reminded us last Sunday uh, of the stories and the parables that we've been doing, lost and found, the hidden treasure. Uh, last Sunday we talked a little bit about the unforgiving servant and today is the Good Samaritan. And again, the reason why I've chosen parables is that actually these stories happen as part of Jesus's life and ministry. While he's healing the sick, while he is addressing uh, a particular theological uh, question, he is stopping, he is pausing, he is finding moments that he is able to say stories that is going to, to give people that opportunity to think about God's kingdom. It's going to give people that opportunity to embrace Jesus. And it's not the kingdom that they have expected. It's not the, the geographical reign and, and rule of a king that they were expecting. It's not that freedom from the oppression of the Roman Empire, Jesus is offering another kingdom. He's offering a kingdom upside down, which is a reign in people's hearts, which is that change, not just of behavior, but is that change of heart that only the kingdom of God can provide. And therefore, he is able to tell these stories. And um, to, to our surprise and to many people's surprises, some people make sense of their stories because they've understood what the kingdom of God is. And some people say, what was that all about? And, and these stories are really, uh, they've got a punchline, something to draw attention. And, and they're very, you know, real stories from real everyday life, but they've got, they've got a drive in them to make people think and to draw closer to Jesus. So, so in one sense, Jesus is using these stories as well to draw people to himself and also to, to give them that opportunity to, to think and to, to re, recapture what God's love is for them. And he is determined to do that. And we have seen that throughout the Gospels and we see it through these different parables. So not only that there is an expectation for people to embrace the kingdom, but while Jesus is expecting people to do that, there is an expectation that this kingdom brings about changes. So you cannot just be in sympathy with Jesus and accept him as a good guru, 
that you adhere to the teaching. No, this teaching is life-changing. So when you become part of the kingdom, then there is an expectation that there is a, there is a, a change in the way that you live according to these kingdom values. And that's why we've been talking about the, the unforgiving servant, that actually there is, there is an expectation there, that when you have experienced God's forgiveness, there is an expectation there that you reflect that and you, 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 you speak about that and you act that in response to what you have received, even though it's a very difficult matter. So today we're talking about the Good Samaritan. And if you see the context, it's, it's, it's really important to see the context here because the, the parable of the Good Samaritan is... is between bang on middle of questions being answered with questions. So as Francis reminded us, uh, a lawyer stood up, the uh, English Standard Version says, put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit the eternal life? And the question that ends this, this whole uh, in, um, like interaction between Jesus and this teacher of the law um, is that it ends with a question when Jesus says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So it's a story that is between two questions. What shall I do to inherit the eternal life? And which of these three men is done the right thing for the person who has fallen in the, into the hands of the robbers. So that's the immediate context there. Let's, let's expand a little bit about uh, a little bit the, the context. And, and, and I'll say it's a story that is between the, the adequacy of people quoting or these teachers of the law or the Pharisees that he's been engaging with, quoting um, scripture very well, knowing the Old Testament, knowing the law. They were experts in the law. I mean, that's why uh, Luke is not reluctant to say that the lawyer stood up. So in one sense, they were experts in knowing the, the Mosaic law, the, the Pentateuch, and the whole uh, civic life of the city revolved uh, about this theology that was mixed with with the legalities of the outworking. So, so they were experts in the law. So that, that, that was what the Sanhedrin was made of, 50 of this kind of lawyers who, who ruled uh, the, the, the legal side of, of the city life. So it was the stories in between these questions that come from a teacher of the law who is very well known and who, who knows his law and his theology well, and if you see later on in verse 38, a question that is cynic and it's putting Jesus to test and an open house in Bethany where Jesus gives an amazing lesson to people that sitting at the feet of Jesus is the most important thing. It's, it's a story between quoting the law and 
if you see at Luke 11:42, it's when Jesus is really direct at the Pharisees and he says, "Ye are neglecting what is most important thing, to love justice and to love God. Um, it's a story in between the Pharisees insulting God. Actually, you see that the whole time that because they did not accept Jesus as being the Messiah and God, then they were just so abrasive and, and totally insulting him about everything. I mean, if you, if you hear if you hear what Peter is preaching in Acts uh, chapter 2, he says, you have killed, I mean, and this is the irony of it, you have killed the God of life. So kill, uh, killing and making dead the God of life. So this is amazing how, how this, this kind of contrast that, that Luke wants us to, to, to um, embrace, but also the story that is bang on, the whole idea that, You've got the Pharisees who are intentionally insulting God on earth. And yet, they come across with this engagement with Jesus as they are the victims themselves. And they're so insulted by what Jesus has told them. This story of the Good Samaritan is a story between the hard press of provocation, lying in wait for him so they can catch him saying something that he shouldn't, 11.53. And Jesus warning the disciples and his followers to be aware of the leaving of the Pharisees. This is a story in between a man who is trying to self-justify, and that's a minor theme in Luke, and a man who's going to justify the world with his death and his resurrection. What happens from Luke chapter 9 onwards to chapter 19, it's that Jesus is preparing his disciples on the way to Jerusalem. He's on the route to Jerusalem to go and die and be buried and be crucified. To, to be crucified, to be buried, and to be resurrected. So, so this story is between this man who, who in verse um, 29 says, he desiring to justify himself to Jesus with a person like Jesus who's working his way up to justify, to bring God's justice, to bring God's justification to everyone who accepts it. And, and I, think, I think it's a story between, as I said, um, a preparation of the disciples to the final thing of what it means to be not only the embracer of this kingdom, but also a, a member of this kingdom that is living out this kingdom values. So it's a lesson for the disciples and praise God that is a lesson for us today. Now, Good Samaritan is, as I said, it's very, very familiar. And, and I think, I think we, we can learn something new today from this familiarity. So as we said, this, there is a dialogue here between uh, an expert of the theology and law and Jesus. 
And he asks a question that leads to another question, that leads to another question, that leads to another question. So this whole dialogue is full of questions. And then you've got the story of the Good Samaritan in, in Bangon, in the middle. So you've got an expert and a theologian in the law of God who actually, for some reason, Luke wants to tell us that he stood up. So standing up in those cultures, and also I think I can identify with that, that um, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect. So I've grown up in a culture that when somebody walks in the room or when you have a teacher, when you have somebody uh, just to show respect, you would stand up. And this is what the teacher of the law is saying, that, that although he is trying to put uh, Jesus to test, there are some elements there that he is trying to, to adhere to, which are some cultural things. So he stands up and he asks Jesus, he puts Jesus to tests. And, and those questions, um, questions are always... Um, it's very difficult to, 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 to go down the motivations of why people are asking questions. But Jesus is very wise and he knows why this guy has asked the question. So he, and Luke says that he wants to put Jesus to test. So he's asking questions not only to cause trouble, not only just to find out whether Jesus is going to say something which is not helpful, but also he is wanting to score points this is this is what happens in theological circles of those days now maybe it happens in theological circles that these days that in order for you to come across to score points you just throw up a question that is totally out of the blue irrelevant to what is really going on with kingdom stuff of jesus but actually it sounds very attractive to others and he asked the questions, the question, teacher, what shall I do? Rabbi, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, oh, why do you ask me this question? You know what is written in the law. How do you read it? And the teacher of the law says, well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your minds and your neighbor as yourself. So what the teacher of the law is giving out here is a mix of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19. And Jesus' response here is, yes, you have said it right. You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, this is, this is interesting because although the question is quite bizarre, although the answer is correctly that actually if, if you understand this correctly and you do it correctly, you shall live, Jesus is aware that this is such a difficult ask. And people cannot attain to this without Jesus' help, without uh, kingdom's help, without what Jesus is about to, 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 to do at the cross in, in the coming chapters, to go and die uh, so they can have eternal life. 
But it is good for him to understand that actually the, the basic of, of, of the question is that actually the, the main cause of us falling short of this is because uh, we are offending God. Because we fall short of loving the Lord with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind, and again, the neighbor as yourself. It's, it's a little bit like what David writes in Psalm 51, when he has just confessed the sin that he has caused to Bathsheba. And again, it's not that he sins only against Bathsheba, but he sinned against her husband because he, he killed Uriah. Then he, he sinned against the commander and the people because he was the king. And again, he put embarrassment to his family. But what does David say in the psalm? He says, only against you have I sinned. Because this is the starting point of understanding that we are offending God by causing sin to other people. Because we are not loving God. Because if we love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our minds, then the outworking of it is going to be that we are going to love others. But, but the reason why Jesus is bringing him to this is that actually <clears throat> the first commandment defines the very nature of our shortcoming. And the second commandment, to love your neighbor as yourself, is, that, is the commandment that actually reminds you, and me for that matter, that I am not the center of the universe. And, and Jesus says, you are right. If, if you keep to these things, you will live. But if you don't keep with these things, you know what the problem is with the human race. And what is God going to address with the good news of the kingdom, with the good news of the gospel? Jesus is trying to say that actually what you are saying as a theologian, as a teacher of the law is right because whoever attains to that standard doesn't need God's grace. But the truth of the matter is that we don't attain and therefore we need God's grace. Teacher, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? And Jesus tells the story of this Samaritan who saves the life of a Jew who is doing his 17-mile pilgrimage to down from Jericho to Jerusalem. If you wanted to read the Psalms of the Ascent, 120 to 134, see how peril the road was. And this was the reality of the people there. And he says that actually there were people who were just coming down and they saw and they ignored him. So there was a priest, a Levite, and then a Samaritan. 
So let's let's do it this way without offending um, any any other uh, um, Christian denominations. Say there was a, a Baptist minister, there was a, a Baptist worship pastor, and just to make people open their art, their wise widely as he tells his story, and it was a Muslim imam. And the Muslim imam is the Good Samaritan. And why does Jesus drive this story through? Just to get the teacher of the law to understand that he needs God's grace. That he actually, it's not about power, it's not about status, it's not about self. The real question is, are you part of the kingdom or not? And if you're not, you've got an invitation here now to embrace him. But if you are, then the expectation is to act in the way that kingdom expects you to wait, to, to, to act. So the question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, how must I become a neighbor? And that's what Jesus is trying to say here. That it's not about who is my neighbor, but who do you want me to be a neighbor to? How must I become a neighbor? I know that there are two different questions, but they're aiming at the same thing. How must I become a neighbor? Who do you want me to be a neighbor to? Who do you want me to be a neighbor to as an individual? disciple of Jesus. Who do you want us to be a neighbor to during this pandemic time as Cairns Road family? Who do you want us to be a neighbor to during pandemic to our local areas, to this city? This is the question that Jesus is asking us today and how are we going to respond to that? So in your coffee groups, um, when we break out, I think I'd like for us to be thinking a little bit about these questions. How must I become a neighbor? Who do I need to become a neighbor to? And it's not only becoming a neighbor when things are going well for us. I think that's a little bit easier. It's becoming a neighbor when things are tough. And I think things are tough for everybody at this stage. So this is, this is a great challenge for us, church. This is a great challenge for me today as well. So I want to pray and then I'll hand it over uh, to Richard and to Jan to uh, be leading us into our last song worship. Father God, thank you that down deep within us, we say we love you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength, with all our mind. And we want to say, Lord, that we want to love our neighbors as ourselves. And as you have challenged us today with your word, I pray that you are going not only to give us the ideas and the theories, but I pray, Lord, that you're going to rescue us from ourselves. And through the love that we have experienced by embracing your kingdom, you'll enable us to become neighbors to the people that you put into our path.
So Lord, have mercy on us. Help us, Lord, I pray, as we ponder on this. And again, lead us to those answers that you want us to be involved with. I pray this for myself, and I pray this for the church family. In Jesus' name, amen.